Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible, and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I am your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I am so excited that you are here to ed- be educated and be empowered and inspire others so you can live a fearlessly authentic life because that is what we all want to do. At least that's what I think that's what we all want to do. I think we all want to live with courage and integrity and live in our truth. And so with my guests, every single week, we try to do that. And today's guest, whoa. All right. You've got a lot to hear, a lot to learn, and hopefully taking all of this wonderful advice into your life to live the best life that you possibly can. My guest today is Dr. Jen Mann. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I want to give the listeners a little bit of background on you for anybody who doesn't know who she is. Dr. Jen Mann is one of the most well-recognized psychotherapists in the country, most known as the host and therapist for VH1's longstanding hit shows, Couples Therapy. With Dr. Jen and Family Therapy, with Dr. Jen, she has appeared as a guest on hundreds of other shows, including The Today Show, The Early Show, Dr. Oz, Wendy Williams, The Doctors, The Maury Show, Steve Harvey, Entertainment Tonight, Access Hollywood, The Insider, and Jimmy Kimmel Live. She has been a host and or cast member on many series, including Shopaholic 911 and many, many more. She is the author of multiple best-selling advice books, including one we are going to talk about in great detail today, The Relationship Fix, Dr. Jen's Guide to Improving Communication, Connection, Intimacy, and Intimacy. Super Baby, 12 Ways to Give Your Child a Head Start in the First Three Years, and the A to Z Guide to Raising Happy, Confident Kids, which have collectively spent five weeks on the bestseller list. Whoa, you must be exhausted. (laughs) Fortunately, I function really well without a lot of sleep. It's crazy. (laughs) That's that's my secret to success. (laughs) It's crazy. I find out with a lot of people that they stay up late, they don't need a lot of sleep, and they you find that with a lot of very successful people. Why do you think that? Look, I think the more hours in the day that you have to be productive, the better off you're going to be. So, you know, I know when my kids were very young, I was writing Super Baby. And we, they were in preschool and we were doing kind of the separation and all the, the parents had to be there and it had to be the same parent every week. So I was the mom. So I'm like, that's me. I'm in. And we were getting, I think we started like eight o'clock. And so we had to get up at seven and I was writing the book until four o'clock every morning. And so I, I just kind of acclimated. I've always been kind of a night owl and I just kind of acclimated to three or four hours of sleep a night. Now my partner, Eric, 
gives me regular articles about how that's bad for you. It's going to shorten his, my lifespan. He's always trying to, to get me to go to sleep and, and sleep more. And I keep saying, well, but maybe I'm one of those outliers. They say there's a small percentage of people who just don't need as much sleep, but you know, he's, he's, he's still pushing hard, which I love. It's, I've always been a night owl and my kids are, I have two daughters also, they are night owls and their significant others are like, why don't you ever go to sleep? And my (laughs) husband probably sleeps less than I do. So I get it. You know, I'm wide awake at 10 o'clock when most people are like taking it down. So it's interesting to find out who those night owls are. I've never been a morning person. I don't even understand the morning person. I don't, I don't either. Although like <laughs> to before my daughters are ice skaters. So, you know, right now we're in lockdown and we've been in quarantine since March 12th, since we have a high risk person in our pod. So we're being super conservative, but we have kind of, since we can't go to the ice skating rink and I'm not having to get up at four o'clock in the morning, we've all been up later and later and later. <laughs> it's it's crazy. I know every, this whole year has been crazy. Yeah, but, for you sure. Know, a, the best time, you know, to talk about relationships, I think, I mean, it's always a great time to talk about relationships. I'm obsessed with everything that you do and talk about <laughs> In this book, The Relationship yeah. Fix, because it is something everybody should read, whether their relationship is on the rocks or they're beginning a relationship, especially then. But at any point or any stage of your life, you should be reading this book so you are well prepared for the next one or the next stage or igniting this up. And I, I love so many of the points that you make, and especially now with things being so uncertain in our lives and relationships breaking up, people staying in quarantine, um, maybe they're staying with somebody they shacked up during quarantine with, and they're afraid to put them, maybe that person isn't their person Mm -hmm. and they stay because that feels more certain and safe. Mm -hmm. Do you have advice for people who maybe are in a relationship that they, they found themselves in during quarantine, but are unhappy, might want to leave the relationship, but are afraid. You know, fear is a huge well, thing. Yeah, no, absolutely it is. And and I think that there's a lot of fear of being alone. And I think it's, it's really heightened right now because we're in such a actual crisis, but also it, it creates an existential crisis where we are hyper aware of our mortality We are aware, you know, I remember in grad school a million years ago, one of my teachers in existential psychology talking about we are born alone and ultimately we die alone. And I think we're all very acutely aware of that right now, that no matter who we're with, that there is a level of isolation that just exists and that this has really kind of highlighted that for us. And I think that a lot for some people staying with someone who is not your right partner may be the right thing right now that you may be choosing to not quarantine by yourself with no contact with any human beings and if you're with someone that it's just not a great match but it's not abusive they're not cruel there's no name calling it may be the right choice right now and i think we have to respect that that kind of the rules are a little different right now 
If, on the other hand, you're in a dangerous situation, a situation that is uh, emotionally abusive, if you're in a situation that is really harmful to you in some way, or you just feel like you've hit that breaking point of like, you're done, but you're just scared, then it's time to really examine what are you so scared about? And are you coming from a place of scarcity? Because I've had a lot of people say to me during all of this, and I've seen a lot of couples break up. I've seen a lot of people become single. I've seen a lot of people date during a pandemic that a lot of people are saying, oh, well, I don't want to break up because I don't want to be single during a pandemic. I don't want to date. I, I have, I know probably, I know a lot of people right now who were saying that and are now dating and have managed to date successfully in the pandemic, just being very careful and taking certain precautions and screening people really well, getting to know them for a very long time before even having a distance visit or having any kind of closer visit than that and taking precautions. So I think that we have to be careful not to come from a place of scarcity. I, it's never a good place. It's never a good time or place to come from a place of scarcity ever, 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 ever. And I know that we've all made decisions with, with that in mind. I think actually, you know, we've all learned so much this past year differently. We're so much more in touch with our health, wellness, um, mental well-being. If we were never in touch with our mental well-being and for those I love that you said that it's okay. Like if you don't super dig that person you're with, but you're not in an abusive, abusive relationship, that's cool. Stay there. And I also, if that's what you need right now. And also I kind of like with all the internet dating going on right now for all ages, uh, because there are a lot of people my age, I'll be 60 at the end of this year. And you know, there are a lot of single women in their fifties and sixties now and I think and looking stunning, I must add. Oh, thank you. That's so nice <laughs> of you. you. You as well. You're gorgeous. And you. it's, you know, I kind of like the fact that they could do these Zoom calls and, you know, yep. FaceTime and sort of get to know people a little differently, whether yep. rather than just basing it on what does this person do? What do they look like? Get to know their personality because I know in my almost 60 years at the end of the day, and that's what we're going to talk about your book. It's about that connection. And that connection yep. isn't always physical. I mean, you want to be physically attracted to your your significant yep. other. But for me, what I've learned is it, it's the personality. So um, what, what do you think about that sort of vetting period of like the Zoom well, I, call or the FaceTime? I think there's a great opportunity right now, especially for people who are looking for long-term partners and not hookups. And, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I had posted, there was this great meme that someone had posted that was, it, it was a woman who posted something about, um, you know, now that, that we can't be together physically right away, you know, when it comes to dating, let's go back to like a, 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 the old era of like, write me a love letter, send me a poem, get to know me. And I think that that's the opportunity right now, that we have the opportunity to bring back courtship and also to have an expectation of it. And I think where we get in trouble is when, and you, you said before that I could say any words I want to give a disclaimer, that when we get a dick pic five minutes into a conversation and we act like it's par for the course and that that doesn't mean something, 
then we're getting ourselves into trouble. That if our, if, and look, if you're looking for a hookup and a dick pic, great, more power to you. Go for it. Solicit dick pics, set, get a massive lineup and pick your favorite one and go for <laughs> fun and figure out a way to be safe. But if you're really looking for a relationship and someone sends you a dick pic five minutes in, you got to go, oh, this is not someone who's looking for a connection. They're not looking to get to know me. This is someone who's looking for sex. And then you need to treat it that way. And if that's not what you're into, then bye-bye. Right, right. I totally agree. We could do a whole show about dick pics, by the way, because I don't <laughs> I even understand why. What's yeah. that? I wrote a column for my InStyle magazine, my hump date with Dr. Jen that comes out every week. I did a whole column about dick pics. I didn't see that. I didn't see that when I was doing the research on you. It was probably about two, three years ago. Okay. It was one of the earlier ones. I I need to have you come back on the show so we can dig into more of that because I don't understand understand the mentality. Like I I remember when I was like dating and looking and go, why would you send this to me? Like, this is not what I want, but it- what I want is something different than what somebody else wants. Yeah. So let's talk about the relationship fix. Why did you write this book? Um, I wrote the relationship fix because I wanted to basically give people a year of therapy slash couples therapy in a book that because of my show, Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen, I get a ton of email and tweets and, you know, people DMing me and reaching out to me saying like, I want to come to you for therapy or, you know, this is what me and my partner are going through or on my radio show. And what I wanted to do was have something that was basically a manual for people to have a healthy relationship. And that it wasn't just about kind of interesting ideas I had, but actually was research-based that I really, I'm an obsessive researcher. I'm fascinated by relationships. I'm fascinated by how we interact with each other. And so I really wanted to have concrete research to back up what I was saying. And so I really want it. I made it a combination of my clinical experience, tons of research, sharing case studies, my own life experience, and I, and, and also from couples therapy and family therapy, the shows that I do and the, the calls I get from callers. And we're also really looking at what are the most common problems people have in their relationships. And also, if you are in a struggling relationship, what can you do to change it? What is your part in it? What do you need to know about your history, about your childhood and how it's impacting you? And what do you need to do differently? I really, I hate when I read a book and they tell you all of these this interesting information, or even have you look into yourself, but don't give you tools. I really wanted to give concrete tools that people could use. And the book is filled with them. When I ever think about what people need the most, you, you tapped right on it. It is the tools. So when you go to a therapist and I've been going to a therapist, I got divorced at 42. I've been going to a therapist since I was 42 and I love it and it's great. And now my daughters are asking me, mom, do I need to go to a therapist? I go, well, if you're asking me, I think you should like go for it. Like everybody should go to therapy. I, I always say that everybody should do one year of weekly therapy just to have someone hold up the mirror and to reflect on themselves, to learn new tools, to be called out on their shit, 
to be accountable, to really look at themselves and examine themselves. And a lot of the time people say, well, that's not financially feasible. But what people don't realize is that all around this country, there are mental health clinics. In order to become a therapist, you have to do 3,000 hours under supervision where generally you're not being paid. So there's a lot of free and low-cost therapy available in this country. And now in this pandemic, everyone's doing telemedicine. You can even do it from the comfort in your own, of your own home. Right. There are no excuses to not get that help. And even if you are not in a relationship that needs help, there are still things that you can learn about yourself. And that's what I've explained to my daughters that going to therapy does, is not a fix it. And going back to the tools is that one of the most frustrating things from that I hear from um, my clients, I own a fitness studio. So clients, not like yours patients and that when they do go to therapy, because I usually tell everybody they need to go to therapy when they come and start training with me, because I'm like a therapist and I can only take them so far. So I can give them my life experiences and what I've learned, but people need the tools because they walk away from a therapy session say, now what do I do? Now what do I do? Like, I just, I just like let out all this crap about myself. It's like emotionally draining But my therapist didn't give me a way to figure this out. Like, so I have to go back. So what's the difference between a therapist? What should people look for in a therapist that would give them the tools and not give them the tools? What's a sign or look, That's that's a great question. I mean, first of all, I think most people don't realize that you you should be interviewing therapists. Don't just say like, oh, my girlfriend, Jane, really likes her therapist. So I'm going to now do therapy with that therapist. Call 10 therapists talk to them on the phone, meet with a few of them. And even if you're, if you're having to pay for that hour, you're going to get something out of that hour. And then you can at least pick because it's almost like dating. It's like, there are a lot of good therapists and don't get me wrong, a lot of bad therapists too, but you can talk to 20 good therapists, but that chemistry may not be there for you or sometimes their approach, which works for your friend Jane, but it doesn't work for you, but to ask questions and to talk about what you're looking for. And if you're someone who is looking for tools, who's looking for someone to be a little directive, you need to be asking the person, what is your approach? Are you directive? Do you give homework? Do you tell, like, are you direct? Do you, because there are a lot of therapists who are of a more psychoanalytic, psychodynamic background, where it's a little more Freudian, it's a little more kind of blank screen, a little more, uh, well, what do you think about that? As opposed to, hey, that's fucked up. You shouldn't be doing that. And this is what's going to happen. And that's, and that's and how you are. Yes. And that, that's much. how you are. Yes. And yeah. that's what I, and that's what I love yeah. about you is because it's so frustrating to be with a therapist that says, like you said, like, why are you feeling that way? How does that make you feel? I'm like, just tell me, just like, give me direction. Is this, you know, screwed up that I'm thinking like this? Am I in a screwed up relationship? Is it weird that my boyfriend or husband does this? Yeah. Yeah. And, And I think that there is a time and a place and there are times where you, it's important as a therapist to process feelings, to take it slow, to help the, let the client come to their own conclusions because it's going to be more significant and it's going to land better. But there are other times where you got to just call them out on their shit and be like, this is what's up and this is what you got to do. 
Yeah, I feel that way even with with trainers, personal trainers. I bet. Is that you know, I I am the kind of trainer that is going to kick your ass versus it's okay. We don't have to talk about food. Yeah, ah, food. It's only eighty percent of the equation. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> no worries. You just keep working out, girlfriend. No, yeah. it doesn't work out that way. I'm like, you got to eat the food. So I get it, and that's why I love how direct you are, and people get results with that direction. And yes. so that's great. So everybody who's listening, interview your therapist. It's very, very important because you know what you're looking for in a therapist. You know what the takeaways are. And I'm going to tell you right now for anybody who's listening that you need tools. You need tools. So let's get into the six steps yes. to having a healthy and happy relationship because that's what everybody wants. Yeah. So I, I would like to break them down. Absolutely. A little bit. I, I, I like As to get I into chapter, in all six chapters. Okay. Yeah, I'd love step guide. <laughs> I would love to do that because I, I think it's so important and I want people to go out and, and pick up this book based on what you're hearing about the chapters, because I'm telling you guys, this is going to change your life. Creating connection. I, I think that. that most people don't realize the significance of a connection and a bond between two people. And, and, and even that sounds kind of hooky pooky, but here's what, here's what we know. There is um, a research, a researcher named M. Gary Newman. M. Gary Newman did a study of male cheaters and female cheaters. It's one of the most significant, largest, long, long-running studies of cheaters. And what he found was quite stunning. And for me as a therapist, before I read his study, I wouldn't have guessed this. What he found is the number one reason why people cheated. And, and he started looking at men and later studied women. You would think, oh, sex. That's what everybody says when you say, oh, why do you think a man cheats? Sex. No. That's what I always what thought. He found, yeah. What he found was that... of the men who cheated, cheated because of a lack of emotional connection in their marriage or a combination of a lack of emotional and sexual connection in their marriage. So it was emotional and sexual. That is huge. Wow. That is huge. It it is life-changing information. If you look at that and you view your relationship through that lens it will change a lot of things for you. And look, for a lot of people, the sex is not going to exist unless the connection exists. So it creates a whole, it helps you understand sort of the confluence of events that oftentimes happens in relationships when things go wrong. But it's it's key to understand that that relationship is everything. And you, and you would say like, oh, well, why does a woman cheat? A lot of the time people make the assumption, oh, for a different reason, but actually it was the exact same, except a 1% difference for women. It was 93% and for men, it was 92%. I am blown away by that statistic because I always said, my mantra was always men cheat for sex, women cheat for companionship because they're lonely, but it's, it's that emotional connection. Wow. Wow. That, that is really and when you when you look at that, it also makes it really clear if you're in a relationship, why you need to tend to your relationship. Because here's the thing, there is always going to be someone who is younger, 
hotter, has a tighter ass than you, a bigger dick than you, whatever. But if you have nurtured the connection and the bond between you and your partner, that is irreplaceable. And that is where you have a home court advantage when it comes to cheating. And also when it comes to having a quality relationship, because there's always going to be temptation for, for anyone in any relationship. But what prevents people from cheating is that investment in the relationship. And the other thing that M. Gary Newman found that was really fascinating is when he asked women who didn't cheat, why do you not cheat? What they said was that they, it was about the investment in the relationship and the time together. So what he, what he found was that if we spend 20 to 30 minutes, he pushes, he says 30, I always start with 20 and push up to 30, but spending 20 to 30 minutes a day, face-to-face, eye contact, no phones, sitting and talking is one of the best vaccinations against cheating for your relationship. I love that so much. I find it in in my marriage. I I got married in 2019 after searching for somebody for 18 years. And one of the things, because he's a busy doctor, he's always working, that when we do spend that quality time together, it does. It makes everything so much better. It it takes away the time that he's working a lot because I know that we're both a priority to one another. And and yeah. it, it's not necessarily, it's, it's right. It's talking to each other, like phones down, TV off, yeah. everything. Like just don't look at anything because that, that makes us feel important to one another. Yep. It, it's, it's so true. And, you know, Eric and I do that, you know, and it's, and look, there are some days where it's harder to do. There are some days where it's the response is he is an entrepreneur who has, like eight successful businesses. He has a ton on his plate. I've got a ton on my plate, but we make the relationship a priority and we really make that face-to-face time super important. This great, great advice. All right. We have five more chapters to go into. We're going to take a break right now and we will be back in a few minutes. So hang in there, everybody. We'll be right back with Dr. Jen Mann. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. On Fearlessly Authentic, Jody talks about mental and physical well-being, and the key to both starts with proper nutrition. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan was created to help your body feel better. Whether your goal is to lose weight, gain muscle, or just feel lighter and more energetic, following this meal plan can help you get there. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a 21-day plan to help you learn the most important things about the food we eat and what foods are right for you based on your goals and activity level. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a real plan for real life. This is not a diet, but a change in lifestyle. The plan is simple and easy for you to follow. In the 21-day plan, you will receive meal ideas, snack ideas, a grocery list, and a 21-day journal crucial to your success with inspirational quotes to keep you motivated and keep track of your progress. The key to success is commitment, consistency, and willpower. Be fearless and trust the journey. Go to JodyFit.com to purchase the JodyFit meal plan now and use the promo code PODCAST to get 25% off. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments you may have. Send an email to info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. That's info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. Now, back to Fearlessly Authentic. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fearlessly Authentic and my guest, Dr. Jen Mann. And we are talking about her book, The Relationship Fix. We just talked about chapter one, creating connection. And we are on to chapter two, fighting fair, which I've had arguments with people I've been in a relationship with. And I've heard myself say, well, we're not, that's, that's not a fight, a fair fight. And I don't know where that came from. I pulled it out of my butt. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> out of the air. But I mean, I'm, I guess it's all those years of therapy that I knew that like what fair fighting is. But if you could explain to everybody what you mean and why you decided to write an entire chapter about this and why it's so important. Well, here's the thing. No matter how good a partner you are, at some point, you're going to piss off your partner. You're going to hurt them. You're going to upset them. You're going to have conflict. How you handle that conflict is a key determinant in the success of your relationship. And if you are someone who hits below the belt, says the unsayable, who is aggressive, who is unwilling to look at their own stuff, your, your relationship is, is going to hit a wall and there's only so far that you can go. And knowing how to fight fairly is, I think, one of the most important skills that you can have in a relationship. Because again, everybody has conflict, everybody has fights, but how you handle them is everything. Could you give us a few tips? On- Absolutely. Okay. You know, look, one of my favorites, and it's something that is kind of simple, but profound is that go into any conflict seeking to understand your partner's perspective. If you come from that perspective, which most people don't, most people go into it, I'm going to convince him why I'm right. I'm going to get him to see the light of day. He's going to understand and he's going to turn around and say, honey, you're right you're always right. You've opened up the heavens to my life. And now I know. I did not see that before. But if instead you can go in from a perspective, seek to understand, you're going to ask different questions. Well, tell me more. What do you mean by that? Tell me, why is that so important to you? Help me understand that. Oh, wow. And and you're going to come more from a place of, oh, I didn't see it that way. Like I only saw it from my perspective. And if you can understand your partner's perspective, you're less likely to get triggered. You're less likely to say things that you regret. They're going to feel understood. They're going to feel connected to, even if you don't agree, you're going to have more common ground and you're going to get a better resolution. You know, they they say that 69% of conflicts in a couple are never fully resolved. 
And so you may not come to a conclusion that both of you are like, yes, this is perfect. I'm so glad. Like we live happily ever after now. Sometimes you have to agree to disagree, but how you do that is, can be the bigger problem. That's really interesting. And I think so many, I, I'm guilty of, of, you know, trying to like, Hey, listen, it's, it's my way. I'm going to convince you, but I've learned over the years that that is not the way to resolve conflict. Yeah. And also, um, I think you said something in your book about like an adult time out, which oh my, it's my favorite thing in the world. Yes, I know. Yeah. I practiced this <laughs> yeah. when after I got divorced, and my girls were yeah. thirteen and nine, and my thirteen-year-old was driving me crazy, and I, you know, had the girls eighty percent of the time, yeah. and I had to put myself. I would say, "Excuse me, before I lose my crap on you, I'm going yeah. to go inside my room. I'm going yeah. to shut the door. I'm going to lock the door before I lose my shit on you." Yeah, and, and, and look, I I do it to my husband for, too. I love timeouts for grownups. I hate them for kids, but that's a, that's a whole other right. show. Yes, but with couples, I think it's one of the most valuable tools that you can possibly use. It, it, it's something that I push very hard on with the couples that I work with in couples therapy in my private practice. You know, even on the show on VH1, and the thing with with timeouts is that it's important. If you think of your anger on a scale from zero to 10, you want to look at, at what, what is my point of no return? And we've all been there where we've crossed that line. We've said the unsayable, we've raised our voices, we've screamed, we've yelled, and we look back and we're like, shit, that's not who I aspire to be in my relationship. And let's just say your point of no return is an eight. What you want to do is once you get to a five or a six, you take your time out. You want to do it before you hit the point of no return. And what you want to constantly be doing is as the temperature of your conflict is rising, constantly check in with yourself. Okay, where am I on that? Okay, I'm a five. Okay, I'm getting close. Okay, six, I better take a time out. Prearrange with your partner. Hey, I I heard this lady on on this wonderful podcast that I listened to, Fearlessly Authentic, and this therapist talked about timeouts. Let's try taking timeouts. I think it could really help our relationship. Because here's the thing. Once we get to that point where we are worked up, where we're triggered, nothing gets accomplished. So what you want to do is take a timeout just so that you can calm down think rationally, get out of your your limbic system and into your more adult mind to have an effective, productive conversation. And a timeout looks something like this. It's not, I'm done talking to you, time out. What it is, is something more along like, hey, I think I'm getting so worked up that I, I think I'm, this isn't productive. Let's take an hour time out. I'll meet you back in the kitchen in an hour and let's see how we're doing. That's great. That's great wording. Yeah. I mean, I know you just like threw that out there as, you know, meet yeah. you in the kitchen thing. It's so, I, I've, I'm, I use that with my husband too when I get frustrated because he works all the time yeah. and then I, I lose my crap on him and yeah. I'm like, I can't, I can't talk about this right now. I'm going to go upstairs and I say very calmly and I try to lead with the love that I have for him in my heart. 
Try yeah. to lead with love, lead with love. I don't yeah. know if you how you feel about that. I'm sure that you yeah. agree with I that. Think I think it's a great idea. I think it's a great way to go because otherwise you, they hear the edge in your voice and they react to the edge as opposed to the love. That was that that was a great tool. Thank you for sharing that. So we're gonna go on to the negotiate part of of a relationship and yeah. negotiating things. So yeah. Explain. And here's what we know. 96% of the time, the way you start an argument is the way you finish it. So if you start with, you're such an asshole. I can't believe you left your towel on the floor again. You're so inconsiderate. Why are you doing this to me? It's going to end with that kind of aggressive, argumentative tone. If instead you say, hey, babe, I love you so much. I love having a partner like you, but you're, you're the one thing that makes me a little nuts is when you keep leaving your towel on the floor, when you do that, it makes me feel disrespected. It makes me feel like you don't care about me or that you don't, it doesn't, that we're sharing a space and you're leaving it on the floor. So it makes me think that you don't care about what the space is like for me. Could you work on that? That would mean so much to me. And I know what a great partner you are. And you're always trying to be a, a, an even better partner. And this would mean the world. You are so perfect at this. <laughs> you are so perfect. It's hard to do that. Yeah. But you start with the positive. You end with the positive. It's a sandwich. It's that sandwich, right? And it's kind of hard to be pissed off at someone when they're saying something nice and they're ending with something nice. And it's authentic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, that's great, great, great advice. I have, I'm actually binging on an old show right now. Yeah. It, it's a really silly show and it's just mindless and I love it. And they what is, I love a good mindless show. Do you? Okay. It's called yeah. the heart of Dixie with Rachel Bilson. It's adorable. Check it out. Yeah. It's so, so cute. And have you seen younger? You have to watch younger also. No. Okay. No. We'll, we'll talk Check about all out. those shows later, okay. but the, this, that show, and they talk about the sandwich and then yeah. I read your book and you talk about the sandwich and it's yeah. just, it's just makes so much sense. So yeah. the next chapter is working, work through your childhood. And I'm going to just give you a little bit of background on me with the childhood thing. As I know that when I started seeing my therapist who I've been seeing for 10 years now, I remember she, she was like, do you want to start with your childhood? And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like who wants to talk about their childhood? But guess what? I started writing a book about four months ago and everything I was writing about was my childhood. So yeah. let's talk about that. The childhood, it's huge, right? It's massive. And it's, it's one of the most influential aspects of our history that determines how we communicate, how we see things, how we handle things, what our triggers are. And, you know, every season on couples therapy, we do a, um, a couples group therapy session that we call childhood trauma. And it is always the most profound, most intense experience of all of the therapy sessions that we do, because it, it's, that's the core of what our issues are. And so the core of what our issues are, even with our partner, even when there are legitimate things that are problematic in the relationship, how we react to it tends to come from our childhood. Do you find that with people who have had the most perfect, air quotes, perfect relation, perfect childhoods? Do you still find that? I don't there know are... a lot of people who have had perfect childhoods. Oh, good. Okay. That makes me feel <laughs> and, good. I mean, I had, I had a really nice childhood, but it wasn't perfect. 
Yeah, no, like, and it's funny because I've had a lot of people come into my office and be like, oh, you know, I, I had the perfect childhood, such great loving parents. And I, I mean, I remember one person in particular who that was like the first thing she said. And then as the years went on, it was revealed that the dad was cheating and he was an alcoholic and the parents were like having sex with her in the room. And like, like, you know, there's just all kinds of trauma left and right. And sometimes A, we become kind of what we grow up with is what we know. So sometimes we don't realize how fucked up it is until we step out of it. And, and we're in a relationship. Yeah. And, and, and also, you know, the other thing that relationships are really good at is holding up the mirror to us about what our issues are, what we have to work on. Because typically what happens is that it, it, in this branch of therapy that's called a Mongo therapy, it was created by a guy named Harville Hendricks. He talks a lot about, and I'm a big believer in this, that we tend to pick partners who are like our parents in good ways and bad. And if you make a list of your mother and your father, or if you had same gender parents, your dad and your dad, your mom and your mom, but you make a list of all of their positive traits and all of their negative traits, and then you look at your partner, make a list of all their positive and negative traits, you're going to see a lot of overlap. Oh, yeah. I married my first marriage. I married my mother. Yeah. 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 And, and your second, who'd you marry? My dad. I there mean, he's yeah. more similar to my father. Yes. Yeah. And my father and I have, you know, I, I have a, it's, I had a, my dad was my best friend. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Like, and what, what we find is that the unhealed wounds from our childhood tend to get triggered in our relationship because what happens is, for example, let's say you had a uh, father who was an alcoholic, who was emotionally unavailable, wasn't around a lot, was at the bar doing his thing. First of all, children are egocentric. And what that means, that's not narcissism. What it means to be egocentric is kids think everything is about themselves. That's normal, healthy development. If dad's at the bar drinking, I must have done something wrong. I must not be a good kid. I must not be lovable. I must not be fill in the blank enough. So kids internalize that and they tend to say, okay, there's something wrong with me. They then take that into their future relationships Now, the unconscious mind doesn't know the difference between the past, the present, and the future. It's always trying to heal old wounds in current time. So that woman with the alcoholic dad on an unconscious level is going to end up being attracted to a man who, or a woman, who is emotionally unavailable on some level. It may be addiction, it may be a workaholic, it may be gambling, it may be sex, it may be fill in the blank. So then what happens is she meets her partner and let's say he's a workaholic and he's unavailable and isn't giving her attention. She then is going to have that old wound trigger. Now her unconscious mind goes, if you can convince him that you are lovable, He will stop being a workaholic and dad will have been wrong. It wasn't that you weren't lovable enough, but dad just got it wrong. So if you can convince him to love you the way you wanted your dad to love you, then it means that you're okay. So it's seeking to heal that old wound in current time. But the problem is 
it's very rare that we have that healing experience. Instead, we tend to get more triggered and more wounded because we have this unmet need that is deep inside of us that continues to get unmet. And then we go, man, I must not be lovable because he hasn't come home. He, he said he'd be home at nine o'clock. It's 10 o'clock now. And it triggers that old wound. So we need to be aware of that. And we need to work on healing that wound in therapy, through other things, and also really being very careful about who we pick as a partner, which is why I also really encourage people to read the relationship fix before they pick their next partner. I I agree. Uh, yeah. th- th- that's an amazing information. It's so complex. And I, I know that it was probably really hard for you to just make it super concise like that. But it's so complex and it is so important that people understand that what those triggers are. And I know that you talk about that you don't know. So what could, a person could sit in their room all by themselves and not have any relationships because they don't want to be triggered by anything or they were in a traumatic relationship and they're like, relationships aren't for me. Yeah. But it's important you talk about why it's so important to, obviously it's important to be in relationships because we want to love and be loved, but also it's a reflection on what triggers you and you can work on yeah. those triggers hopefully yep. by taking your advice in this book. Yeah. And it's, it's hard to have the complete healing experience without the relationship as the catalyst yes. to hold up the mirror and, and help reflect to you what you need to work on. Uh, the next chapter, I could talk about this chapter for a long time. The next chapter is forgive and make amends. Yes. So let's talk about that. There's a, there's a lot to say about that. Yeah, and yeah. and I I don't have the typical stance on forgiveness that a lot of therapists and a lot of people do. I um a lot of people come from, oh, you just should forgive. If you're in a relationship, just forgive. I don't believe in that. I believe that forgiveness is something that is earned. It is earned with good behavior over time. I also think that to just say, oh, I forgive you if you're really wounded and it hasn't been processed is it's cheap forgiveness and it it doesn't land and it doesn't really accomplish what needs to be accomplished. In order to forgive someone, we typically need to see four things, which which I call the four R's of of forgiveness or of of making amends. In the amends that the person makes you, first of all, we need to see remorse. We need to know that it, they really have a strong sense of remorse and regret that they have harmed you in that way, that it has landed. The second thing is responsibility, that they take responsibility, that they're not pointing the finger, they're not blaming someone else, that they are saying, I own it, I take responsibility, I harmed you, I may not have meant to, but I take complete responsibility for my actions. The third is recognition. And what I mean by recognition, and this is often overlooked, is the willingness to actually sit and hear how we have hurt that other person. And if you you don't sit and hear that, you're not going to fully understand. And if you're doing the, you know, monkey see no evil, hear no evil, say no evil, like I just don't want to know. I'll just apologize. I won't do it again. I promise. I promise. Just don't make me hear how, how bad I was. 
you're, it's not going to have the same experience because being heard in your pain is a healing experience in and of itself. When the person who hurt you is able to sit and say, oh, wow, I didn't realize it. I, I knew I had upset you. I didn't realize the extent of it. And now I'm, I understand why this hit you so hard. And I really get that because people don't change if they don't fully understand it. Then the fourth, and this is key. This is, to me, this is one of the most important things. It's remedy. That there's a plan of action to avoid harming in the same way. To repeat there that. Are, yeah, there are a lot of times where on the radio, I get a call from someone, you know, easy example, my spouse cheated on me. My boyfriend, girlfriend cheated on me. They came to me, they cried, they said they're sorry, I forgave them, they came back. And I always say, what was the plan of action? What was the remedy that they told you they were going to do to avoid having this happen again? And inevitably, the answer is, well, nothing. They said they were sorry and they cried, so I knew that they really felt it. That's not enough. There needs to be remedy. For example... Um, I am no longer going to go on Facebook or because I, that's where I got myself in trouble or um, I'm going to have total transparency with all of my communications here, are all of my codes don't like, I don't want you to have to worry or I'm going to AA because my drinking is what led to that affair. And, and that is, is something that is a problem for me, or I'm getting myself into therapy to understand why I have been so self-destructive. And I want to make sure that I don't harm you in the, in the process without remedy, without a concrete plan of action, things don't change. No, they keep repeating and repeating and repeating. We need to have a plan of action. Great advice great advice. Sex. Reignite your sex life. That's huge, but it's not everything. All of these things that you're mentioning, this is the sixth chapter, is all of these things combined make a healthy and happy relationship if you follow your your rules. I don't want to tend to have sex when we're feeling resentful or disconnected in our relationship. Right. So let's talk about how you reignite your sex life. Well, look, first of all, we have to put the time and the energy into it. And I think that one of the biggest mistakes that most couples make is that they get complacent. That, you know, it's hot. Look, in the beginning, it's hot and heavy just because of the novelty factor. Like it's new skin, it's new moves, it's new smells, it's new stuff. Like it's, it's all exciting that first year, year and a half. But once we get past that honeymoon phase, that's to me when a sex life begins. That's when people get into the nitty gritty. And the other thing is that a lot of people, even people who say I'm comfortable talking about sex are oftentimes not comfortable talking about sex because the truth is that a really great sex life is not politically correct. Sometimes we have fantasies that are illegal, are morally wrong, are corrupt, are crazy, but we have to be able to explore fantasies and I'm not talking about necessarily acting anything out, obviously, but we need to be able to explore our fantasies. We need to be able to make requests for things that may feel uncomfortable or like, Oh, you know, I've heard too often like, Oh, well, I can't do that with my wife. Well, yeah, you can. Cause if you're not doing it with your wife, you're probably going to go do it with someone else. So like, let's, let's help that be in the relationship and to not judge each other. 
It's like, even if you don't want to do what your partner's into, to not be like, ew, that's gross. I can't believe you said that or that you want to do that. To be able to have a sex life and be able to have communication in the bedroom where you can say anything. Because also sometimes when we say, hey, I'd like to do X, Y, and Z, and our partner is really not into it. Well, they may not be up for doing X, Y, and Z. They, there might be some compromise that works for you. Like, for example, if someone says, like, I want to do a threesome, and then the partner's like, hey, I don't want to bring a third party into our bedroom. Okay, let's have a fantasy. Let's talk through a fantasy about it, or let's watch some porn, or let's read some erotica about it that can be a really good sexy stand-in without bringing someone into the relationship and doing harm. It, it it kills me when I hear people talk about sex like it's a, it's such a taboo thing because it is so important to have that connection going back to the first the first chapter creating that connection and part of that connection what we first started off with is you know that emotional why do people cheat the emotional and sexual yeah. connection so these are all so important you have to come back on the show we have 2 minutes left i can't even believe this well, i have I to just talk sex yes yes we have <laughs> to talk about sex and I, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show i My wanted pleasure. to ask you how somebody could live a fearlessly authentic life how do you live a fearlessly authentic life what does it mean to you to live a fearlessly authentic life for me, I don't know any different and that I am very fortunate that I had parents who encouraged me to be who I am and kind of helped me understand that the people who, um, who are, who love that, those are your people and the people who don't are not. And, you know, when I first, the, my first season of couples therapy, uh, you know, I say fuck a lot and I say it in therapy and it, people reacted to that. And season one, there were a lot of people like, that's terrible. It's so unprofessional. I can't believe you do that. And I remember one person wrote to me and said, in our clinical, in our clinical supervision, we study you to know exactly what not to do as a therapist. I was like, okay, that's cool. Like my style's not your thing. Season two, people are like, I love that you say fuck. It's so authentic. It, it really works. Like you speak to me, you speak my language. And then people were writing and saying, in my clinic, we study you because you do everything right and we want to be just like you so but for me it didn't matter whether people were studying me for either reason I am who I am and I believe in what I believe in and that has never wavered and I think it's really important that people know who they are because when you are clear and clean with who you are when people have problems with it you're willing to look and say, well, where can I improve? But you're also willing to say like, hey, this is something about me I really like and I'm cool with it. Totally get that you're not without taking it personally. So well said. Thank you. I love that answer so much. Dr. Jen Mann, how can people reach you and people how can, can they get the book? People can find me on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, even TikTok at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on man. You can also find my weekly column in Style Magazine, Hump Day with Dr. Jen. Every week, there's a new column about some sex or relationship issue. Um, and that's where I'm at. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so, so much for spending an hour with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll see you next week.
Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. Please listen again next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.